Welcome to the Preaching Podcast. I'm Paul Robinson, and thank you so much for listening today. Uh, this is the second message here we're having on the glory of God. If you haven't heard the last episode, it was entitled High and Lifted Up. Be sure to listen to that. Uh, now, these messages, they're not like connected in any way. They just both have the same theme, and that is the glory of God. And this message is all about the book of Job. Now, let me tell you, I love the book of Job, but let's be honest. The book of Job is hard, right? It's hard to understand. You talk about suffering. You talk about one man's integrity. And then you talk about Job's friends, quote-unquote friends. You know, they they didn't act like much friends. They were accusing Job. And uh, were they right? Were they wrong? Uh, and, and then you have God at the end of the book speaking. And I, I'll tell you, this, this sermon uh, right here, it is kind of a comprehensive look at the book of Job and what it's all about. And you know what? I think the ending is going to surprise you. When we get to the end of the book of Job, it's quite surprising. And um, and what's it all about? What the book? What what is it all about? Well, I'm really excited about this message. I think it's going to be very helpful for you, especially if you're going through suffering in your life. If you've got some kind of horrible health problem or or maybe a trial you're going through and you just don't understand, I think this message is going to be a great help to you. All right. So, without further ado, here's the message: the great debate and the great glory. The book of Job is the oldest book in the canon of Scripture. Job lived around the time of Abraham, possibly even before. The book is unique in that it is the only book in the Bible that solely focuses on the topic of suffering, specifically the issue of the righteous suffering. Satan causes the suffering, God allows the suffering, and Job and his friends debate the suffering. But what does the book of Job really teach us about suffering? Well, the answer will surprise you. And tonight, I want to, we're going to ca- take a grand overview of the book of Job. What we're going to do is uh, look at the three main events in the book of Job. Three main events. The first one is this. It is the devil's challenge to God. The devil's challenge to God. And we just read that here uh, a few moments ago. I want you to notice again... Verses 6 and 7, where it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came with them. Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. You see, the devil is a world traveler. First Peter 5 eight tells us that the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That is the purpose for the devil's travels. He seeks to destroy the lives of men and women. For the unsaved, he seeks to keep them in darkness so that he may damn their souls. And for the saved, he seeks to cause them to sin so that their lives will be miserable and powerless. That's what the devil wants to do. If you you look at verse 8, it says this, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Oh my goodness, this is God bragging on Job. Hey, Satan, have you seen Job? Have you seen Job? He is an amazing man. He fears me, he loves me, he eschews evil. 
You know, he, he keeps himself away from sin and wickedness. That, that's truly amazing. You know, you have to think about, could God say that about me? Could God say that about you? Is, are, are you someone that God could brag about? That, that's quite a sobering thought. But I want you to notice the devil's response. Verse 9. The devil says, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him, about his house, about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So Satan believed that Job only served God for what he could get out of it. And you know, the sad truth is that that is true of many Christians today. Serve God, and live for God just for what they can get out of it. Well, God will bless me if I serve him, you know. And uh, suddenly, our, our motives are not right. And that's what the devil was accusing Job of. But was that really true of Job? The devil challenged God on this front, and God accepted the challenge. In verse 8, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. And so God says, Okay, you know, go, go for it. God accepted the challenge that the devil put forth concerning Job. And again, uh, you know, God, God knew Job. God knew the outcome. He knew what would happen. And uh, we also know because we had the book of Job. But I just want you to consider the fact that if we hadn't known, we'd be like, uh-oh, something bad's going to happen here. I, Job's in big trouble now. The devil's got permission from God himself. What's going to happen? And so that takes us to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, there was a day when the... Oh, I'm sorry. I am skipping ahead. I'm skipping ahead. I want you to notice chapter 1 and verse 20. Verse 20. Um, you see, what happens is the devil, he goes right to work. He goes right to work, doesn't he? Job's informed of the mounting catastrophes by his servants. First, his oxen and his donkeys are captured. Next, his sheep are burned alive from a fire that falls from heaven. And then his camels are stolen by Chaldean thieves. And finally, a powerful tornado rips into the oldest son's house. And it kills all of Job's children. This happens all in the same day. One after the other. Catastrophe after catastrophe. And now I want you to notice Job's response in Job 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Wow. Now consider that. Is that how we would respond? If all of that happened, I, I certainly want it. I want it. And yet Job recognized, you know what? God gave me those things, and he can take them away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Incredible response. Incredible. Well, that brings us now to chapter 2. So notice uh, Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to prevent, present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, 
from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Wow. So here, the devil says, All right. Okay. So I was maybe wrong. He can't admit he's wrong. But he says, Oh, yeah. If I take away Job's health, I touch his health, he will curse you to your face. That's it. That's it. Now, you know, health is very important. And the truth is, when people lose their health, when you have health problems and something serious, it's easy to become miserable and bitter and angry and what's going on and this isn't fair and all that. And the devil knew that. And so here, the devil is allowed once again permission to take away his health. And so here, the Bible says he gets boils that come up in his body and he gets some pots. It's trying to scrape the pus and the ooze off and it's probably miserable pain. Just awful. But I want you to notice Job's response in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, second part of verse 10. He says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? That's amazing. That's amazing. Job says, no. No, we, not only do we receive good from the Lord, but evil. In other words, trouble, adversity we receive from the Lord. Truly incredible. Uh, you know what? The, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren, and here Satan accused Job of serving God for all the blessings. He says, that's, that's, all, that's why Job serves you, Lord, just for the blessings. Satan was permitted to take Job's fortune, touch Job's family, and torture Job's flesh. Job had lost everything, except for his nagging wife. The blessed helpmeet that God had given him had now just told him to curse God and die. That's what she said. And I imagine Job was thinking, Lord, why can't you take her too? Amen. Oh, my goodness. Things looked very bleak for Job. Things looked very bad. Well, that leads us to the second event in the story in the book of Job, and that is the great theological debate of Job's friends. And this takes up most of the book, Job chapter 4 through Job 37. Job's incredible loss made headlines, and before long his friends came out to see him. But they didn't come with get-well cards. They came instead to criticize him. These three men clearly were very smart. They were intellectuals. They were theologians. They sat with him there for seven days before saying a word. And really, that was the, the custom of the day. When someone had rent their clothes, they were in great mourning, great loss, just to sit there, just to sit there in silence with them. We had to wonder how much had God revealed himself to Job and his friends. Remember, this is the oldest book in the Bible. This was back around the time of Abraham. And clearly God had revealed himself to Job. And uh, Job's friends knew of God. And they had some, some 
some uh, sort of, they definitely had some kind of relationship with God. Job certainly did, and uh, the friends probably did too. So God had revealed himself to them. But you know what? They didn't know all the things about God that we know because we have the complete canon of Scripture. We have the Bible. We know a lot about God that they didn't know. And uh, that's clear because of the debate and what they argue, which we'll get into in a second. So really, these three friends, they kind of had to speculate as to why this was happening to Job. It was kind of like, you know, a philosophical debate. Well, Job, clearly, this, this is happening because of this. You know, and, and Job says, no, that's not right. This, I don't think. And so there's the debate. They're not sure. They're just speculating. They're just kind of what they think, why they think it's happening. It's very interesting. And so there's these three friends. First, you have Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite. He argued that Job was suffering because of his sin. Job, clearly, you've sinned, you blew it, this is judgment. Then there's Bildad the Shuhite. He argued that Job had not repented of his sin and therefore suffered. Job, you've sinned and you haven't repented. You need to repent. This is judgment of God. And then Zophar the Namathite argued that Job deserved to suffer more for his sins. Do you see a common theme here? They were all pointing the finger at Job and saying, Job, you sinned. You blew it. This is the judgment of God. That was their argument. And eventually, Job has had it. I've had it with you. Look at Job chapter 16. Job chapter 16. Starting in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. Job says, hey, I could do the same thing to you. If you were in my spot, I could say, hey, you've sinned. Oh, you blew it. What's wrong with you? What did you do? And Job says, you're, you're supposed to comfort me. You're supposed to be my friends, you know, with, with friends like these. Who needs enemies, right? Instead of comforting him, they were just criticizing him, just pointing the finger at him. Huh, Job, you messed up, clearly. Job argued that he had not committed a sin worthy of such suffering, although he admitted that he was a sinful man. Well, as the debate raged on, Job desired that God himself would speak out and vindicate Job. But God remained silent. The constant criticism eventually caused Job to reach his breaking point. Look at Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. Starting in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. He's talking about God. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but... I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, 
that I cannot see him. So here is Job, and Job is saying, where's God? Why won't God answer me? Have you ever been there? In his book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, Dr. James Dobson says this, and I quote, When the heat is on and confusion mounts, some believers go through a horrendous spiritual crisis. They lose God. Doubt rises up to obscure his presence, and disillusionment settles into despair. God could rescue. He could heal. He could save. But why won't he do it? What does such a person do when God makes no sense? To whom does he confess his troubling, even heretical thoughts? From whom does he seek counsel? What does he tell his family when his faith is severely shaken? Where does he go to find a new set of values and beliefs? And so here was Job. Job was thinking, what's going on? Why am I suffering and where is God and what is the purpose of this? And that is exactly what so many Christians go through. They suffer. They suffer, and perhaps you're there even tonight. You're suffering. Something's happening in your life, and you don't know where God is. God isn't answering your prayers. God isn't. He doesn't seem to be listening. It seems that he's just gone silent, and you wonder, where's God? And it really causes you to question your faith, to say, is this real? Is God, does God really listen? Does God really answer prayer? That can be a very, very devastating time. That was what happened to Job. Eventually, Elihu, a younger man, joined the debate. He came in. And it's funny because he says, Well, I was uh, letting you guys talk because you're older than me, but uh, you guys are morons, so I'm going to speak. All right? I'm going to speak now. You know, it's maybe college age, probably, you know. And he argued that God was using suffering to mold Job's character. Well, that's certainly better than the others, isn't it? All right, so we have that debate. debate the debate continues. The debate rages on. Just debate, debate, back and forth. And there's that question. There's that question that we still ask, people still ask today. Why do the righteous suffer? And this question still plagues people. And it's why the book of Job is so valuable. However, the answer is not what you would expect. In fact... There is no answer. And that brings us to our last, last point tonight, and that is the awesome glory of Jehovah God. The awesome glory of God. This is Job chapters 38 through 42, the last few chapters of the book. You see, as God listens to the debate, eventually he can't take it anymore. And uh, he chooses to speak for himself. After all, the debate was all about God's judgment on Job for his sin which wasn't true in the first place. God doesn't speak out to vindicate Job, but rather to vindicate himself. You see, God watched this great debate, and he was insulted. Now, now here, here's Job and his friends, and his friends are saying, hey, we know, we know what's going on, Job. We, we know about God. We know that God is righteous and holy, and God is judging you because of your sin, and that's why it's happening. We know what's going on, Job. And Job says, no, 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 that, that can't be right. That can't be right. I haven't done anything like that. I don't deserve this kind of suffering. And God would not, God would not do that to me. And, and why is God silent? I need God to speak. I need God to, Lord, why is this happening? Well, Job, we know what's happening, Job. You're sinful, Job. You have sinned. What is it, Job? There's a hidden sin. There's a hidden sin. And God's listening to this, and God says, no, they're all wrong. 
and God has been insulted by this debate. John Phillips points out that everyone in the story was wrong. And I quote, Satan made the mistake of thinking that Job served God simply for material gain. Job's wife urged him to curse God and die and made the mistake of thinking that the loss of wealth meant the loss of everything. Job's friends made the mistake of thinking that Job was suffering for some hideous secret sin. Elihu made the mistake of thinking that he alone had the answer to Job's problem. Job made the mistake of accusing God of injustice. They were all wrong. Only God was right. God finally speaks. God's speaking for himself now, and, and, and now that God is speaking, surely he will give the answer to this great debate. I, I'm sure God would come out. Here comes God, and he says, hey, Job. All right, Job, here's the reason. Well, I see what happened was one day the devil came up to heaven, and he challenged me. Can you believe that? He challenged me, and uh, you know he challenged me, and so I said, okay, well, you can, you can uh, take these things away from Job, because I knew, I knew you were going to do a good job, Job. And you know, God could have said that, right? God could have told Job exactly what happened, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't even mention it. Instead, he demands an answer from Job. Look at chapter 38 and verse 2. God is speaking. He says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. God says, hey, I need an answer. I, I want an answer from you. I want an answer from you. And God launches into an incredible explanation of his glory and power. At every turn, he asks Job, where were you? Hey, Job, were you there? When I made the world, were you there? He talks about the magnitude of the universe and the awesome construction of the earth. He explains his power in nature, the weather, and the constellations in space. He speaks of the animals he created, lions, ravens, goats, donkeys, peacocks, ostriches, and how he made them unique in their design. Eventually, God lets Job speak. Look at chapter 40. Job chapter 40. And uh, let's see what Job says. Job chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. So he says, All right, come on, let's hear it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. So Job says, Okay, Lord, I am vile, and I'm just going to shut up now and put my hand over my mouth. I'm not even going to speak. And so, God continues. God continues. He explains that no one has the glory and power that he owns. He challenges Job to tread down the wicked and to lift up the humble. He points to Behemoth, a monstrous creature that no one is able to tame or even harm. He points also to Leviathan, a fire-breathing creature that cannot be touched. God made these powerful monsters. How glorious is our Creator. How powerful is our God. That's what God was saying to Job. Hey, Job, I am glorious. I am powerful. While you have your little debate, you've missed the whole point. 
and you've slandered me, you've, you've insulted me, you've insulted my glory. And once God is done speaking again, uh, here comes Job again speaking. This is chapter 42, chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Wow. That's pretty amazing. He says, you know, we've been talking a lot about you, Lord. We've been debating about you, and now I see you. And I repent. I repent, Lord, in dust and I, He says, I abhor myself. You know, it's one thing to talk about God and debate about God and philosophize about God, but it's another thing to see God. And that will change you. To see the glory of God. And there it is, that's God's answer. But, but what does it tell us about suffering? That's what we all want to know. What, what about suffering? John Phillips summarizes it like this, and I quote, Like Job, we have to rest in the faithfulness of God, knowing that God is too wise to make mistakes, too loving to be unkind, and too powerful to be thwarted in His purposes. Amen? That's pretty good. Dr. John MacArthur explains it like this, and I quote, In the end, God offered no explanation to Job, but rather called all parties to a deeper level of trust in the Creator, who rules over a sin-confused world with power and authority directed by perfect wisdom and mercy. We may not know what is going on in heaven or what God's purposes are, but we must trust Him. Because of this, the matter of believers' suffering takes a back seat to the matter of divine wisdom. So there it is. Your suffering, uh, not, uh, not as important as the wisdom and glory of God. You know, just put it back there. Now, I know that some people are going to scoff at this. Some people are going to say, huh, well, that's not fair. God should make sense of my suffering. I deserve to know. This isn't fair. I didn't do anything wrong. God should tell me. But that is an insult to the glory of our God. If you believe that God is obligated to explain himself to us, then you don't know your Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention these. You can just jot down the references. Proverbs, Proverbs 25.2, write these down. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Isaiah 45.15 says, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel the Savior. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Ecclesiastes eleven five says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. And then Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God speaking, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
As you can see, God has every right to withhold His purpose from you. He is not obligated to tell you anything. It is by the mercy of God that He reveals anything to us. It is the grace of God that we have the Word of God with us today. This is how we know God. This is why we know that God is just and holy and loving and kind. God's revealed Himself to us. And He doesn't have to. He's not obligated. He doesn't have to tell you anything. After all, He's God, right? He can do whatever He wants. God, God, God is not obligated. And so for us to say that, for us to say, I deserve to know, is very arrogant and sinful. And here's Job saying, Lord, I should know, right? I should know. And then God comes in and he doesn't answer the question. He just shows him his glory. He, he talks about his glory and his power. And Job says, oh, never mind, Lord. I abhor myself. I, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. And so the truth is this. You might, you, you might, be, uh, have, you might be suffering tonight. It could be a recent tragedy. It could be a terminal illness an impossible relationship, or some other trial. Maybe just something down deep inside that nobody knows about, a hurt down deep inside, whatever it might be. The truth is this, you might never know why you're suffering. Is that okay? Are you all right with that? Tragedy, sorrow, and suffering are a part of life. But perhaps the worst part of these is when we don't know the reason behind them. You know, I could give you all kinds of examples tonight. I remember when I went to Bible college and I, I knew a, a wonderful pastor out there and he had a wonderful family and his son was one year younger than me and his son was tragically killed in a car accident. And he was only 17 years old at that time and, and uh, we don't know why. The Lord allowed that to happen. This was a godly young man who was probably going to go out and serve God. I think he wanted to be in the ministry and yet his life was cut short. We don't know why. You know, I think of a, a young couple I went to school with in, in high school, and a wonderful couple, and they loved the Lord, and uh, a few years ago, they had a, a baby boy, and the baby boy was, burn, was born with some health problems, and uh, just two days after he was born, the Lord took that baby home to heaven, and that, that young couple had to take that small body, and they had to take it, and they had to put it in a in a small coffin and bury it in the ground. And I don't know why God would do that. I don't know why. They, they certainly didn't know why either. Why would God take our baby? Uh, you know, I think of um, a young man I knew in college, and uh, he, was, um, he had a heart condition. And uh, one, one, one day he was rushed to the hospital, and we were all informed as the students, we were informed that he was in the hospital, and it looked very bleak. The doctor said, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it through the night. And what we did was we formed a prayer chain and we all prayed uh, all night for him. We prayed that God would work a miracle and, and save his life. And he did. God worked a miracle and that young man came through and we, we celebrated. We praised the Lord. Just a few years later, he was engaged to be married. And uh, one day he walked outside and he laid down in his front yard and his, his heart stopped. And the Lord took him home to heaven. We, we don't know why God would do those things. We say, Lord, why would you do that? Why would you cause us to suffer? And you might never know. We might never find out the answer. Like Job, 
We want an explanation. But God does not promise one. Instead, he might say, trust me and know that I am a glorious God. Know my glory and my power. In answer to the question, why doesn't God answer all of Job's and our questions, Dr. John MacArthur says this, and I quote, listen to this. He says, this question assumes that if God answered all our questions, it would be easier to believe. This is not true. Trust goes beyond answers. Sometimes questions become a way to avoid trust. In the end, we must trust God more than our capacity to understand God's ways. The lesson from Job's experience does not forbid us from asking questions. Often these questions will lead us to the reasons for our suffering. But Job's experience also warns us that we may not be able to understand all our suffering all the time, or even any of it some of the time. God doesn't answer all of our questions because we are simply unable to understand many of his answers. Wow. In other words, he is a glorious God, and we are sinful, finite creatures. It's hard when you don't know the answer. We instinctively want to know why something's happening to us, but when we start to debate, we often tarnish the glory of God. Basically, what we do is we accuse God, right? We accuse God. This isn't fair. This isn't right. And we're talking about something we don't really understand because God is so beyond us. He's, he's an infinite God with infinite wisdom. And God says, well, you, you can't know. You can't know why I'm doing it because you want to understand. And, you know, we think, wouldn't understand? Of course I would, but he's an infinite God. We're finite creatures. And so we have to be very careful. And so please make the hardest choice and let go of your questions. Let go of the debate and say, Lord, be glorified in my suffering. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul prayed and he asked God, he, he had the thorn in the flesh, and he said, Lord, please take it away. And he prayed three times and God said, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is sufficient for thee. And the Apostle Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so, that's what we can do. We can say, Lord, if you never tell me why, that's okay. I just want you to be glorified in my suffering. That's what I want. And if you do that, God will not let that prayer go unanswered. Amen. You know, that's a real challenge, isn't it? To to recognize that you might never know the cause of your suffering, that God is never going to tell you, and to just let it go and say, well, I'm going to let God be God. And as I said in the message, that takes real maturity, real maturity, the kind of maturity that a lot of people do not have, a lot of Christians don't have. And so let me challenge you, maybe you are suffering to some degree, and, and recognize it's for the glory of God. God wants to be glorified through your suffering. That's That's hard. That's hard to come to grips with that, but God is great. God is glorious, and I hope that you would desire just to give it to the Lord and say, God, be glorified in, in, in this, whatever it might be. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I hope that was a blessing today. 
And uh, be sure to check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com. Now, don't forget my new book, Unlikely Heroes, is coming out on May 19th. So please, um, I, I hope you'll go look at it, uh, look look at my book on the website, and I hope that uh, you're ready to buy it on that day, that day that it drops, May 19th. That's on a Friday, and, and I'd love for you to get that book. It's, it's a really... Uh, it's really unique. It's really different from anything I've ever done, but I think it's it's going to be – I know it's going to be great, and uh, I, I really do hope that you'll avail yourself of that. Let others know about it too. Uh, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. If you haven't signed up for my email newsletter, you can do that on the website as well. And that just – I have a, a newsletter that goes out every other week and just gives you information on different things and also my articles and things. And So you definitely want to sign up for that. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with your friends. Let others know about it. Just just spread the word. I sure would appreciate that. But thank you so much for listening today. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you. <laughs>